First and foremost, I want to apologize for, you know, looking a little sick and under the weather as I'm not feeling too well right now. I may have caught a little bit of the Shrek pox. No, I'm just kidding. But I do have a little bit of a cold, not feeling too well, so hopefully it doesn't drag down my energy too much. You think after all of the videos we've done on this channel about the crazy things that happen in the middle of nowhere that people would just stop freaking going there by now, but apparently that's just not the case. But that's good for us here in the swamp because the more people who continuously go out to the middle of nowhere and get slapped up by some wendigos, it allows me to have more stories to share with you. So if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description. Or you can even go to our new reddit r slash the dark swamp. I'd love to see your stories. Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true middle of nowhere horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Appalachian Trail Camping Horror Story by Attic Man 2733 In the early summer of 2020, my girlfriend Kayla and I decided to go camping. We had only been going out for a few months at this point, and before I had met her, I was very enthusiastic about trying to complete a section of the Appalachian Trail hike. I never got much farther than acquiring a full backpack of gear and all the essentials like a tent, cookware, etc. But I had everything we could need for camping for a day or two, so we got some steaks and some beers and walked out into the woods. I had chosen a place for us to hike. It wasn't too far from my parents' house where I had grown up, so we parked my car at their house and my dad drove us to the end of the dirt road about 10 miles away from home. So we wouldn't have to leave a car there overnight so that someone would know exactly where to find us if they needed to start a search in any case of emergency. I told my dad that I would get in touch with him around noon the next day to let him know if we wanted to stay another day. We said our goodbyes and began the trek. I chose this trail because it only went down about three-fourths of a mile and reached a beautiful stream with a dilapidated sawmill that made for a significant trail marker. Unfortunately, I had lost my phone somewhere along that trail between the old road and the sawmill, but I didn't realize it until we had set up the campsite already. When we reached the broken-down sawmill, we straddled the stream to the left and kept it along, so we didn't get lost. This wasn't a popular camping site by any means. I wasn't honestly sure if I was even allowed to be there, but I was familiar with the area growing up there. My friends and I would swim that stream growing up all the time. We eventually reached a clearing right next to the stream and set up our tent on the sloping ground. Without realizing it, we got our fire going with a lighter, cracked some beers, and waited until we were hungry to begin cooking. Unfortunately, we hadn't prepared much for wasting time out there, so we eventually started cooking out of boredom. Oh, and we went back to search for my lost phone and found it. Spirits were still a little low from the combination of lethargy, sweating, bugs, and the search for the phone. And cooking didn't go well either, honestly. We ran out of beer very quickly, having not brought enough, but having our wits about us at night may have paid off. We were both freezing at night and had trouble sleeping in our slant. Our heads were ever so slightly lower than our feet, and looking back, I'm not sure why we didn't just spin around. We heard the usual sounds everyone would listen to when camping in the woods at night. It's almost like you have superhuman hearing when sleeping in the woods alone or maybe just without a gun. I lay awake most of the night, half listening to sounds and half imagining them, I'd assume. Then, I was woken up by Kayla climbing over the top of me to get to the tent door. 
She had to use the bathroom. My phone said it was about 5 a.m., so Kayla left the tent and did her business, and I tossed a little before getting out of the sleeping bag to check the fire. Kayla and I met at the fire, which was almost just embers at this point, and I started stoking it with the firewood. I had gathered the previous night. We decided to sit on a log that was our makeshift bench and huddle with a blanket for a while. As we silently watched the fire, I heard the first snap, a quiet but distinct snap of a twig off to our right. About 40 feet away behind some brush, my head shot over and stared in the direction for a good minute, but I was also convinced from hearing things all night that a twig snapping might not be something to worry about. We sat at the fire some more, but it was still virtually pitch black besides the 15-foot fiery luminescence from our camp. Some time had passed and I heard another branch snap, but this time it was off more to the front of us. This time I stood up and looked out because if it's in front of us that means it's moving. Across the campfire was a very steep hill that spanned a reasonable distance, with a stream to our back. We were in the middle of a valley, and I scanned the side of the hill trying to see anything. I heard one more snap, and this time I told Kayla to get into the tent, close it, and grab my hunting knife. I think her getting up quickly might have spooked what was stalking us. Suddenly I could see, slowly creeping in the horizontal line about 40 to 50 yards up the hill, was some very bright and beady eyes with a long bushy tail. I immediately knew that this was a mountain lion. I wish I could have just run into another black bear, it would have been so much easier. I was terrified, but even more so, I was aggressively ready to defend this woman I dragged into the woods to have a mediocre time with. I yelled to Kayla, holy crap, it's a mountain lion. I threw my arms up and began grunting as loud as possible. I picked up a hatchet I had brought to chop wood and began slamming it into our log, trying to look as terrifying and as large as possible. I may have even grabbed firewood still lit for protection in any case that it got closer. Ultimately, I was fortunate enough to watch the mountain lion retreat up the hill, probably pissed off that its cover was blown. Nevertheless, I stood there slamming my hatchet around and trotting the camp's perimeter for almost two hours until the sun was fully up. I thought we were safe, enough to start packing at least. We called my dad at 7am, and thankfully he was already awake. He couldn't sleep at night because he just felt wrong. We stood there watching the forest until he picked us up at the end of the road. The adrenaline didn't wear off until I was back in my car ready to go home. Abandoned Theater by Jace Hello Swamp Dweller, I love listening to the many stories people share on your show, which reminds me of a couple of stories I have myself. This one might not be super scary, but it is very creepy in my opinion. When I was younger, I worked in a little town outside of Branson, Missouri, called Branson West, at a subway in a small local Walmart. Now next to that Walmart, there was overgrown woods across the street. I had always seen the top of what looked to be like some sort of abandoned building over there. Now I've always been adventurous, and on one of my days off, I grabbed my boyfriend and one of his friends and decided to explore. My boyfriend always carried a knife and I brought a backpack of snacks, water, and a little first aid kit because I'm prepared. We trekked through this little patch of woods until we came up to a tall and weathered theater that had looked to be abandoned for quite some time. I did a little bit of research and apparently it was a part of the local theme park that didn't seem to draw many people, so it was thus shut down. Now it wasn't very creepy, but it was beautiful. 
The old seats surrounded an empty concrete theater that was covered in leaves and old fallen branches. Being young adults, we ran around, played hide and seek, and just chatted for a couple of hours until I noticed something odd. On top of the hill, opposite the array of seats, was what looked like an old worn down shack. I hadn't seen it before, and it was all covered in leaves and hard to even notice. Brush had begun growing around it, obscuring it from view. I rallied the little group I had and we decided to check it out. As we climbed the hill to the shack, I realized that some of the leaves had been disturbed and some brush had been pushed down and it looked rather recent. I didn't think much of it because I assumed it was likely animals or something of that sort. My boyfriend looked around in the brush with his friend and I decided I wanted to take a peek inside. I gently pushed open the door to the little shed and became instantly uncomfortable. Inside, there was old trash and food tins tossed around, and in the corner was an old weathered sleeping bag. It all seemed fairly recent, but what really got me spooked was an old machete sitting on the floor next to the sleeping bag covered in old brown substance. I wheeled around towards my boyfriend and his buddy and shakily called them over. Seeing my pale face, my boyfriend came over quickly and looked inside. After seeing what I had, he had grabbed my arm and told us we were leaving. I agreed and we walked quickly back over to the theater so I could get my bag. My boyfriend was pushing us to hurry and I decided I didn't want to be there any longer after seeing the knife. As I threw my backpack over my shoulder, I glanced back at the shack and what I saw made me shake. Beside the hut stood a tall, tall person. Judging by his size, a man in a long sleeve shirt and his jeans covered with dirt and filth, he had a scraggly beard and unkept long hair, he must have not meant good business. The other two must have seen me staring because they turned and looked up at the shack and saw the man as well. My boyfriend grabbed my arm and all I heard him was repeating, We've got to go. We've got to go. We quickly turned around and ran back towards the Walmart and my car. We didn't stop until we reached the car and climbed in. I don't know if the guy had followed us or how long he had been there watching us frolic among the abandoned theater, but it's something I still shiver at, something I won't easily forget. Thank you for reading my story, and all who want to explore, just remember to be safe. Something Outside the Cabin by Jean my name is Jean, and I'm from rural southern Arkansas. A few months ago, my girlfriend and I went on a camping trip to a cabin I have in the Ozarks, close to the Missouri line. We're 17 years old, so my parents and hers believe we're mature enough to handle ourselves in anything terrible, like a flat tire or a freak lightning storm. We carried guns and knives just in case of mountain lions, bears, or snakes, so we packed all of our stuff in my pickup truck and went to the mountains. It was pretty dark out when we got to the cabin. Not completely nighttime, but almost. We unpacked everything quickly, and my girlfriend, who I'll call Melody, dragged me to the ridge about probably 100 yards away from the cabin so we could watch the little bit of sunlight disappear over the mountain range. With her head on my shoulder, her jet black hair tickling my neck, and my right arm around her, it felt like heaven. Once the sun was gone, I took my flashlight out and made our way to the cabin. It has a stove inside, so we cooked up some supper, nothing fancy, just fried chicken, baked beans, and iced tea. Typical southerners, I know. Honestly, I don't remember why, but we threw the chicken bones in the woods 25 yards away from the kitchen. We figured a raccoon or a possum would enjoy them. 
We sat on the porch after supper and I played my guitar for about an hour until Melody and I both agreed it was too cold to stay outside. I love that Melody clings to me when she's cold, which is cute. We fell on the bed, cuddling. After a few minutes, we were about to fall asleep, but we heard something walking around outside the cabin. It didn't sound big, and we were both half asleep at this point, but after some time, it did sound like it was on the porch. Melody whispered to me, Gene, what is that? I answered, I don't know, probably a deer. We both agreed it was a deer and started to fall back asleep. But then, I started thinking, why would a deer walk up into the porch? There is only one window in the cabin, right by the bed, so we had no idea what this would be unless we opened the door or the window and looked toward the front of the cabin. I started wondering what this thing was. I told Melody to stay in bed while I opened the window, pistol in hand, to see what it was. So there I was, wearing nothing but boxers and a t-shirt, holding a 38 Special in my right hand, about to look out the window and see something I might not want to. I finally worked up enough courage to open the window, and when I did, I looked out the front of the cabin, with nothing but the moonlight to see. I couldn't tell what I saw, but Gollum from the Lord of the Rings movies is the best way I can describe it. It looked like it was chewing on the chicken bones we threw in the woods. It was right beside the porch and not giving a damn how close it was to the cabin. Then without sounding, it turned its head and looked behind it. I don't know if it saw me, but I shot at it once, not knowing where I was aiming. And again, without sounding, they just disappeared into thin air. My ears were ringing from the sound of the gunshot, and I felt something grab my shirt and turn me around. It was Melody and she was pissed off because I scared her with an unexpected gunshot. I got my hearing back fast and all I could hear was Melody scolding me for not warning her about the shot and trying to ask me what it was I shot at in the first place. I told her what I saw and she didn't believe me. To this day, I don't know if she believes me or not. I'm not sure if I believe it myself. It could have just been a big possum or a raccoon. But what do you think it was? Camping Nightmare by Douglas R. Last week, I took a camping trip with my sister and cousin. We were taking the trip to forget everything that had been happening in our life for some time. I was the only one with a running car at the time, and it was my pride and joy, a 1987 Honda CRX. It is a two-seater hatchback, and we had to have one person in the back of the car since there weren't enough seats. On the first day at the site, we didn't get to do much because it took longer than expected to get to the camping area, and it was almost dark when we got there. It took us some time to set up everything, but by the time we got to eat dinner, it was already completely dark out, and we went to tent to play cards against humanity. By this point in the card game, I was winning and was just about to drop the infidels card to my family. I heard just outside the tent, I am sorry, I cannot complete this action without Wi-Fi. Of course, we all play it off as just maybe some some noise coming from a phone or somebody outside or something. But then we started thinking about it. We're not very close to any other campsites, and cell phone reception was pretty spotty at this point. Let me just say that I had Motorola and voice actions are not even activated on it. Not only that, that my phone was also in my pocket on the other side of the tent. I didn't want to make a fuss and ruin our first night, so I just agreed that it was probably a noise coming from my phone. And by the time we went to bed, I hurried my sleeping bag, got it all set up, put my knife ready next to the zipper, so if something came through the door, I would be able to mess it up real quick. 
Those were some of the most extended hours of my life and reminded me of how quiet it really is in the woods. Besides the sound of one messed up owl, I heard not a peep of anything the rest of the night until my cousin touched the door the following day and I knew I could finally rest. There was nothing super special that happened the second night, but we did have neighbors that night. However, something did seem to spook them pretty badly, and they were all packing up and leaving very late in the night. That day, we went hiking and found some of the abandoned silver mines up there. We didn't go any deeper than the entrance, though, because there were a ton of tracks in the small abandoned mines as well as a, as well as a ground that was probably flooded further down. After that, we went to town to eat out and treat ourselves to that hard day, and by the time we got back to camp, it was getting very late. But we had a fire going, it got dark, and however, the forest always stayed silent. There was never a noise, making us know how alone we truly were. Something was sinking in my gut, though. I couldn't tell what was happening, but the fight or flight kicked in. We were sitting around the campfire chatting about random things in life, but two mice were dashing past us. This set us off just enough to start being honest with one another and how we were all comfortable and felt like we were in danger. We began to pack so we could call it a night and go to bed, but as we were getting the food packed up, my cousin saw something in the bushes where the mice ran from, about eye level to him. He was six foot one. He said, I think I saw something, and I wasn't going to be one of those kids in a horror movie. I grabbed them and told them we were getting everything we could in the car and we were going to sleep in town. So we held our pillows and headed to the car, never looking away from that bush. As my car started and was getting ready to leave, my cousin was standing watching to make sure nothing was coming at us while we were getting ready to go. And he told me that he wasn't sure, but he thought he saw something start to go out of the bushes as we were beginning to leave. Of course, this is typically where the story ends, but we were not lucky that time. We looped around and started making our way down the gravel road back to town. But, to my horror... I would hit my brake lights and see a faint outline of something in the gravel road behind us in the mirror. Of course, I was too focused on moving swiftly on the gravel and not at all really focused on staring in the mirrors, so I only caught a glimpse and still had difficulty explaining it. Not only that, but as I passed more and more sights, I realized everybody who had been there during the day had seemingly packed up and left. Now, that could be coincidence, but there were no signs that anybody else was there. By the time I was getting on the actual road, I didn't feel at ease at all, so I kept a safe, swift pace, but I still felt like somebody was following us the entire time and had someone in my trunk, so I obviously couldn't drive too crazy, so I didn't give them whiplash. However, I never went under 70 miles per hour for quite some time. The worst thing was is when I would break a little bit in the corner to set the turn and I would catch a glimpse of whatever the hell that was. It was getting closer each time. So every corner, I would focus more and more on the corner ahead because I couldn't lose my cool, or else I might push too far, slip, and put us in an extra level of crap. After about 15 to 30 minutes of long switchbacks, we eventually got to a tiny bit of civilization, a small group of houses, and their lights were on. After that, we returned to the main town and slept in my car in an Arby's parking lot after taking a walk to the park restroom. The next day, after a few cups of coffee and enough sleep, we go back to the site, get our stuff, and inspect the spot where we saw the thing. At the place where we saw the thing standing, all the plants in a circle were all pushed down to the ground like something had been standing on them. We also found what seemed to be a small trail to where my car was parked and into the gravel road. We didn't find any tracks, but all the branches on the ground were broken and the plants were pushed into the ground up the road. However, none of our stuff was messed with, 
and some additional information. After that, we found out that we were camping near Bohemia, Oregon. Bohemia is known as a small ghost town in the Cottage Grove area up in the hills, so maybe that's connected. Coyote Farm Siege by Anonymous For the last month, our farm has been under siege. While coyotes have always existed in the area, they've gotten much bolder lately. More than once, I've gone out in the morning to find tracks near my house. If they were my only problem, I wouldn't be that concerned. However, around the end of June, my kids claimed they saw pigs running around the neighbor's woods. Stories have been going around for years about hordes of feral pigs running through and rough-shotting through the south. Until recently, we've managed to avoid them around here. I didn't pay them much attention. That was until the second week of July. I found a big mud wallow in one of my fields. Those filthy buggers eventually churned up several spots on my land before I was able to finally drive them away. The road to our inevitable showdown began a few weeks after they were spotted for the first time. It was dawn and I headed out to start my day. I was getting some chicken feed from the shed and noticed something was wrong. The garden, our primary source of sustenance, had been demolished. The pigs had rooted up our garden, a good three-fourths of it. Almost all of the potatoes, tomatoes, squash, etc. were ruined. What wasn't torn up was knocked over or trampled. Our family saved what we could, but the damage had been done. In a normal year, it would make life hard for nine months. However, in our current crisis, this was a disaster. The worst of this illness could be ahead of us. If cases blow up into the millions as they did a hundred years ago, the stores will be stripped bare, much worse than this past spring. We bought as much as we could afford, but the fear that it may not be enough still lingered just below the surface. When I'm made to be scared for the future of my family, I get angry, very angry. I was determined to get revenge and a few days later, I did just that. I purchased a couple of bags of feed corn and mixed it with diesel. I buried the concoction in a couple of places throughout the field. All that was left was to wait. My wife made me a thermos of coffee. I took it and my rifle to the shed. I planned to sit up every night until they returned. And thankfully, I didn't have to wait very long. Sometime around 5 a.m., I was jolted awake by my wife. She just woke up and saw a herd of about 7 to 10 hogs rooting up my bait. They were only 50 to 60 yards from my perch inside of my shed. I quietly nuzzled up to my rifle and took aim. The first shot took down a large boar. A quick follow-up took out another next to it. They began to scurry, but by then they were still well within my range. A third round just missed another, but the fourth hit its target, a smaller sow. I tried to take out a few more on the move, but they were too quick. The pleasure I felt as the rest of the field fled into the woods was immeasurable. My mother used to say, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, and I just made a lake full of lemonade. After we processed the pigs, I figured we had enough to feed us for two years. And just one night, I went from serious fear to our future to living high on the hog if you'll excuse the pun. My elated state wouldn't last long, though. Just a few nights later, around 10, my daughter's Yorkie scratched at the back door. I assumed he needed to relieve himself, and I let him out. He was gone a while, so I went to check on him. I was sweeping through the yard with my spotlight when I caught sight of some glowing eyes. For a split second, I thought it was him, but quickly realized it was far too big. 
The eyes also glowed white instead of green like those of a dog. It could have only been a coyote. I drew my 357 and shot at it. I'd been carrying it since the pigs had been spotted. It ran off into the dark, apparently unscathed. I called out to the dog again, but nothing. Not far from where I spotted the coyote, I noticed a lump of something. When I got close enough, I could see it was the Yorkie. It looked like the coyote had killed him, probably just before I saw it. I contemplated burying him without saying anything, but that seemed cruel. So I went back inside and told my wife. Her and I had to call my daughter out to tell her, and as you can imagine, she was very upset. That dog had been by her side most of her life. The next morning, I made a nice box for the little guy and we held a funeral. I buried him next to my German Shepherd, Schultz, who I'd lost at 16. I was fed up now. For the second time, in less than a month, my family had lost something very important to a nuisance animal. I was determined to make that coyote pay. Like with the feral pigs, I sat up all night, waiting to shoot it. After a week, I gave up. I assumed my pistol had done its job and the coyote bled out later. We hoped our troubles were finally at their end. Two days passed with no problems. Then, on the third night, my worst nightmare almost came true. My wife was preparing some food and noticed that we needed some eggs brought in. I sent my daughter out to the coop to grab some. She was taking a long time. From the window, I couldn't see her. So I went out to see what was holding her up. I was on my way to the shed and heard, Daddy, in a low, barely audible voice. I would have walked right past had she not said something. I glanced over, saw her standing stock still, in her hands was a pail of ten eggs. At first, I didn't see the coyote. He had been blocked by the corner of the coop. My heart shot up into my throat. I took a long, jagged breath and attempted to focus on my threat. She quietly asked me what to do. I advised her to stay still and not make any sudden movements. A long moment passed until I remembered I had my pistol. I lowered my hand slowly and quietly. When I reached the holster, I found it empty. I must have left it inside. Panic began creeping into my head. At that point, that coyote was going to maul my daughter, and there was nothing I could do. My heart began pounding. A crazy idea came to me in that moment. I was going to have to jump on him before he could attack. This may be dramatic, but I may die in the fight, but I wasn't going to let him kill my little girl. It had to be now, so I took a big breath in and let it out slowly, just before I pushed off my feet and a loud bang broke the silence. It surprised me and caused me to flinch. Another quickly followed and the coyote was tossed onto its side. He didn't move after that. My daughter and I turned toward the sound of the shots and standing there was my wife holding my 357, wearing a disgusted sneer in her face. She never looked more beautiful than she did in that second. My daughter began crying and ran into my arms. I waved my wife over and we had a big family hug. Leave it to my son to be completely oblivious. He walked out while we were having a bonding moment and asked what we were shooting. I couldn't help but laugh. After everyone calmed down, I drugged the coyote to the far fence and slung him over it. It was something my grandfather used to do. He claimed it kept them away from the property. I'm not really sure if it actually works, but at this point I'm willing to try anything. When I got back to the house, breakfast was finished, it was possibly the best meal I'd ever had, and it had been almost two weeks since I've had any problems. I can only hope my animal troubles are gone. I still carry my pistol at all times, just to be safe. We may not be so lucky again. This mess has reminded me not to take life for granted. Hold those you love close. Any second, any one of us could be lost. Every day, remind your family you love them and live each day as if there was no tomorrow. 
Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. I do apologize if my voice sounds a little sickly. I am just getting over some sort of cold, not sure what it is, but I'm fine, so don't worry too much. If you enjoyed tonight's stories, please be sure to slap that like button like it just told you the worst Yo Mama joke you had ever heard and you are more offended than you have ever been in your entire life. If you're new to The Swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications. I upload new episodes almost every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. You can also download all of my scary stories absolutely for free on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I want to thank you guys so much for supporting The Swamp. Send in your stories at swampdweller.net or the reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I'd love to share your stories in a future episode, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.